Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Chase Ellenberg. Um, I, I grew up here in, uh, I grew up in Quitman, but most people don't know where that's at. And so um, I, I usually say Valdosta. And, and I say this because I'm going to talk here at the beginning. It's going to seem real strange, and that's okay. I'm a strange guy. Um, I'm going to talk about that little tiny city within Valdosta that you can pass right through. It's over on Bay Tree. We know what I'm talking about? Remerton. We know about Remerton, right? And, I, and before, before I talk about it seems kind of weird to talk about Remerton. Um, uh, before I move on, you can also gauge how long someone's been going to this church based on the locations that they have seen. Okay, so I mean, let's do this. So we've been in this location for several years now. Does anybody remember when we were over on Highway 84? Do we have any of those? Okay, we've got, we used to be over on Highway 84, a very obscure location. And that's when, when I started, this was about 10 years ago, um, I started attending the church, me and my family. Um, we were in the Highway 84 location. But I've heard stories, it's really kind of a myth now, that this church started in Remerton. Anybody, any Remerton people? You remember, okay, there, there's, there we go, there's a few Remerton people. And I'm talking about Remerton because it's such a strange place. It really is, like if you look on the map, it is a city surrounded by a city. I mean, it's like one second you're in Vadasta, and there's the bank, and there's the movies, and then boom, all of a sudden you're getting pulled over because you're in Remerton, right? <laughs> and you didn't realize it, and you didn't realize it. <laughs> and then boom, you hit Vadasta State University, and you're back in Vadasta. So it's a very strange place, and I actually looked up, a place like Remerton actually has an actual definition. Okay, it's not, it's, I don't know if it's technically a city or they just think they're cool enough to have a second name. It's actually called an enclave. Now, we can sound real fancy. Yeah, an enclave, I, I've got two definitions for this. I'm going to give you one now. An enclave is a portion of territory within or surrounded by a larger territory. Okay, so that, that's the, the dictionary definition of an enclave, a territory surrounded by another territory. And kind of a fun fact beside the point, Remerton is 0.2 square miles. <laughs> so it's a very small territory within a larger territory. I want you to keep that in mind because there is going to be some wacky, crazy point to me talking about Remerton for, for so long. Just remember the definition of an, of an enclave. It's territory surrounded by another territory. We're going to start in Genesis. We're actually going to be in Genesis for a lot tonight. Um, so we're, we're going get, to get, get, our, get our use out of the beginning of the Bible, and then we're going to end up near the end in Hebrews. Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to talk about Abraham to start with, but a lot of times when I talk about Abraham, I actually like to take a step backwards because Abraham is, is a familiar, familiar person with us, to us, but we're less familiar with his dad. And so a lot of times if I'm going to talk about Abraham, I like to take a step back and talk about his dad. His dad's name is Terah. And we see Terah's story, very brief story, Genesis 11, verse 31. And Genesis 11, verse 31 begins with Terah. This is Abraham's father. At this time, he was called Abram. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. 
And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. So Terah is an interesting figure in in the word because he was called out by God. We see that, that he was living in this land, the land of Ur. He's got his family, and he leaves with the intention of going to Canaan. Now, if we know anything about the Bible, Canaan is the official terminology for the promised land. Okay, Terah had a call on his life to go to the promised land. And it's interesting in that we know Abram as being the father of many nations, Abram having um, a son very old in age. But did you know that Terah had Abram when he was 70 years old? So he, was, he, he had that same calling upon his life. And I've often wondered if Terah wasn't originally supposed to be the father of many nations. And the word tells us that he settled. The word tells us there that he was going with the intention of going to Canaan, and he settled in Haran, which interestingly enough, Haran is an enclave. It is a place surrounded by another place, okay? If we look at that older, older maps of this area, it was surrounded by larger territory, and Terah took his family there and had had enough, and that's where he ended up, Okay? Now, let's continue talking about Abram right there in verse 12. 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram. So, this is after Terah has died. He settled in Haran. He did not make it to Canaan, and he died. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. This is very well known to to people who are familiar with the word. It's the Abrahamic promise. Genesis 12, God tells Abram, come out of this land, the land of Haran, where his dad settled, and go to the land that I'll show you. And if you do this, I will bless you. And I love how the word is specific where it says, your father's land. Come out of your father's land. Come out of the land that your dad settled in. And you need to keep going. You need to go to Canaan. And, and I think it's, it's, it's very indicative of this trend of coming out. It's all throughout the Bible. It's, it's a very much of an echo, if we can take a side note. It's an echo of Eve coming out of Adam, that Adam, he, he was created by God, and yet there was, there was a coming out of him to create Eve, okay? It, it, it's also a foreshadowing of the church, because the church, if, if we look at the original language, the church, um, the terminology is the ecclesia, and the ecclesia is actually called the called out, okay? So we are to be the called out people in the world. So we've got Abram here in kind of the middle where we've got Eve and we've got the church, but just another mirror of you are called out of this land. You don't need to stay here. You need to go to the next place, okay? So we see it in Eve. We see it in Abram. We see it in the church in that there's no more settling. That's, that's kind of the point here with Abram is that there's no more settling. The calling out 
And, 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 and I think the one thing for us to consider here is that the calling out also comes with a care plan. It's not like God said, just go, and that's going to be it. I hope you make it. But the calling out comes with a care plan. God had his part. It was a partnership. God said, if you will do this, I will do this. You go out of the land, and I will bless you. You go out of the land, and anybody that messes with you is messing with me. That's the Abrahamic promise, okay? So there's this calling out. I want to flip over to Genesis 15 because we see really an extension of the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 15. So we've got what was in 12, the calling out of Haran, the no more settling. And God takes it a step further here. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not fear Abram. So kind of the point there is that calling out is a scary process. That if you are called out, that doesn't mean it's going to be sunshine and rainbows. There are going to be difficult days. Sure. I mean, we, we, we all know that. So there, there, there comes a moment when God must tell Abram, you know, great father of faith, don't be scared. I am a shield to you. Oh, we got we to gotta, we gotta hold, on, hold in on that for a second. I am a shield to you. What God is promising here is protection over Abram, a shielding over Abram, okay? If I can take it to this step, if you never thought I could connect Abram with Remerton, I am going to be an enclave for you. You are going to be in the middle, and I'm going to surround you. That's, that's shielding right there. That's what it means, that just as our lovely city of Vadasta covers our not-so-lovely city of Remerton. <laughs> God is promising to cover Abraham. I am a shield. Don't be afraid. I am a shield to you. Okay? Defensive covering. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move forward and get, get more so to our meet tonight, Genesis 47. Genesis chapter 47. What we see in brief summary of Abraham is that he goes on and he, he lives his life. He makes it to Canaan. He's a sojourner, wandering around Canaan, living in tents. The promised son does come in Isaac, and Isaac does the same thing, wandering around in Canaan. And then Jacob, another promised son, comes, Jacob and Esau, and the blessing goes to Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And then we, if we continue reading, we, we typically hit on Joseph. Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob, is the one that Jacob favored, and we know that, that he was highly favored and his brothers were jealous. Um, he had the coat of many colors, you know, from, 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 from our, at least my, our Sunday school stories, our childhood stories, right? The brothers are, are hateful towards Joseph, and so they sell him to Egypt, and he stays there, and God blesses him and gives him favor, and he becomes second in command. Okay, this is where we're picking up in Genesis 47, is that God orchestrated this whole thing. This is where we get the verse where Joseph tells his brothers what God meant for evil, or what, what the enemy meant for evil, God made into good, all right, which, which I, I cling to so, so pretty much every day, that what the enemy means for evil, God will turn around for good, okay? And we pick up here in that Joseph has risen to power, and he has saved God's people. He has saved his brothers, his dad. 
because he, he had the foresight through God to have the, to have the provisions from the famine, and he calls them to Egypt. Joseph is calling his brothers to Egypt. And notice where they're going to settle. Genesis 47, I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. So Joseph has called for his his family to come to Egypt. There's food over here. There's provision over here, and they have come. Next verse. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Everybody say the best of the land. The best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. The land of Goshen is where we're going to camp tonight. This was an enclave. It was a city or a territory within Egypt. Look, looking back at maps, it's not quite a true enclave in that Egypt surrounds it, and then it also butts up against the Red Sea, which we know eventually the Israelites would cross, that God would part the waters. But it is surrounded by Egypt, so we consider it an enclave, and this is where the Israelites go. They are going to this, what's called the best of the land, this, this enclave, this place of Goshen. And it's actually in Goshen, we see in Exodus 1, where the Abrahamic promise is really released. Because if you flip over a couple of pages, I know we're doing a lot of flipping. Exodus chapter 1, verses 7 through 12, when they entered Goshen, it was still just a family. Goshen had Joseph, it had Jacob, so it had the 12 brothers and their families. That was the, that was the, the, the nation of Israel. Okay, not quite a mighty nation yet that God promised, but it's in Goshen that the Abrahamic promise comes to fulfillment. Keep that in mind. Exodus 1 verse 7, the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. So it's here in this enclave, here in this place that the people multiply, and they become a mighty nation, okay? This is the place where the blessings of God came to fruition for them. And yet, we see here in Goshen some pretty amazing things that are about to happen. I know I'm, brush, I'm brushing over some stories pretty quickly, but we see that they, they rapidly multiply to the point that Egypt becomes afraid of them that Pharaoh is fearful of the Israelites. And he literally says, if we don't do something about them, they're going to attack us and they're going to defeat us. And so they enslave them. And this is where the the Egyptian, the 400 years of enslavement come. And God has to raise up Moses to deliver them from the Egyptians, okay? And we know here when Moses, he, he leaves and goes to Midian, but then he returns what happens in Goshen? If we look at the examination of what happens in Goshen, let's start in verse 8 of Exodus. Exodus 8, 
And guys, I may have wrote Genesis back there, Matt. I'm sorry. I meant, I meant Exodus and all the, all the next ones. <laughs> what we see here is that Moses returns to Egypt, and he wants Israel to be set free. And Pharaoh is hard-hearted, and Pharaoh doesn't, doesn't allow that to happen, right? And the ten plagues come about. But let's examine some of these pretty closely. Exodus chapter 8, verses 22 through 23. Exodus chapter 8, verses 22 through 23. This is where the plagues start coming out. This is the plague of insects. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will occur. So Moses is declaring to Pharaoh, I'm, I'm, about, to, I'm about to be plaguing you because you're not letting my people go. You're not listening. So in this plague, there's going to be a whole bunch of insects, a whole bunch of flies come along out of nowhere, and they're going to be in every part of Egypt except Goshen. The flies will not enter into Goshen. They're going to be covered. They're going to be shielded. Remember our Genesis 15 Abrahamic promise of a shield, okay? So they're protected from the flies. Exodus 9, verses 4 through 7 is the next plague. And this is the plague where livestock are going to die, cattle, Firstborn of the cattle are going to die. But, verse 4, the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. The Lord set a definite time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So again, examining this, all of the cattle of the Egyptians died. None of the cattle in Goshen died. Separation. Flipping over. Exodus, uh, or I think we're still in verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 26. Verse 26 is the plague of hail coming from heaven to destroy the crops. Verse 26 tells us, Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. So they're protected from the flies, they're protected from the killing of the cattle, they're protected from the hail. I think you get the point, but we'll keep on going. Genesis 10, verse 23. This is the plague of darkness. Not, not Genesis, Exodus. I'm, I'm getting my Genesis and my, my Exodus mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> Exodus ten twenty three. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. So this is the plague of darkness. Egypt is dark for three days. Goshen has light. Goshen is different. Goshen is shielded. And the last one I'll share is Exodus eleven seven. Exodus 11.7 tells us 
This is the preface of when the firstborn are going to die. And the Lord says, but against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So I think we see the pattern here is that throughout these plagues, terrible things were happening to Egypt. And Goshen was business as normal. Goshen was completely protected, completely shielded every time. Point of of why I'm bringing all of this up is because I had a realization over the past several months that I have the power to claim Goshen over my life. I don't have to go into the full details. I mean, I know we got the, the Wednesday night crew here, the, the, the faithful, of, of what my wife and I went through with my daughter's cancer diagnosis. She was diagnosed back in November, had, had a malignant tumor behind her eye, and we went through treatments and radiation and chemo and, and the whole shebang for a good good six or seven months. I noticed throughout, throughout this time changes in myself, changes in the way that I prayed, changes in the way that I read the word. And I found myself at one point praying Goshen over my daughter. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is I, I specifically remember it was one of her first chemo treatments. I don't think it was the very first one. But they would, bring, they would bring the bags of poison, and it's the craziest thing because the nurses that were, would administer this medicine, they would get in like a, a stinking hazmat suit. I mean, it was like they're covered from head to toe. They're wearing multiple gloves. I mean, they are taking this stuff so seriously that they're literally about to inject into my daughter, right? And, and e- even like afterwards, they would tell us, okay, when she uses the bathroom, that's radioactive material. They would tell us you have to cover the toilet. Like, you can't just flush the toilet and let it come. You have to cover the toilet. If she throws up, you, you can't just throw that in the trash. Like, you've got to treat uh, what comes out of her body for a few days as hazardous material, okay? I found myself in one of these early treatments with this prayer that welled up inside of me. And the prayer was, God, I declare that Amelia's organs are as the land of Goshen. That this poison is going to go in and it will only impact the tumor. That was my prayer, guys. My prayer was her organs are Goshen. Her cells are Goshen. Her, her function is Goshen. And that tumor is Egypt. That was my prayer. That tumor is Egypt. And it will be plagued. And the rest of her body will be protected. And before my eyes... Are gonna make me cry. <laughs> Before my eyes, it happened. They would they would tell us stories of oh she's gonna get a fever, and it's gonna be an emergency, and she's gonna have to go to the ER. I remember a nurse telling us less than five percent of of patients they have to come into the ER because they got a fever. No, no, ma'am. Or that she's, gonna, she's not going to be able to, to go to school. Or she, she's uh, it's probably going to be too sick to do this or too sick to do that. No. 
not, not, not when the God of Goshen is my God as well. Not when the God of Goshen is my God as well. And I'm speaking Goshen over my daughter because the same God that protected Israel from the flies and the hail and the death, that's my God. And, and I mention all of this because it was a shift in me to claim Goshen over the areas of my life. Because you don't have to have a cancer diagnosis to claim this stuff. <laughs> you can claim Goshen over your finances. And you can say, uh-uh, my finances are protected. They are an enclave. Even if the surroundings are burning, even if everyone else is in bankruptcy, not my finances. That you can declare your family protected as Goshen. That if there's family, and guys, I'm, I'm in the public school system. I see it all the time. There are families that are attacked. There, there are marriages that are attacked. I mean, I, when, when I started, I started teaching about 10 years ago. And I would do this activity early in the year, kind of a get to know you, where kids, I, I would say some random things and kids would step forward if it applied to them, Okay. And so one of, my, one of my things that I would just say is, okay, uh, step forward if you're, you're, both of your parents are still together and they live at home. Ten years ago, it was about 50-50, okay? That about 50% about of kids would step forward and say, yeah, my, my, both of my parents live at home. My, my last year teaching last year, it's about 80%. It's about 80% of kids that don't step forward. That, that they're not living in homes that have a mom and a dad. They're not living in homes of, 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 a, of a married couple. There's an attack on families. And we, as the church of God, have to say, my family is as Goshen. My family's protected, even if others are not. My family is. You gotta claim that over your life. You gotta claim Goshen. That, 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 that's the same God. That's the same God. Because I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll move this forward and, and, and say something that at first may seem kind of controversial, okay? Goshen is not guaranteed. Here's what I mean. If you look at this story, there's two different kinds of protection. What I just read was unconditional protection. The Israelites didn't have to do anything to be protected. Nothing. They didn't have to do anything to have the light in their homes. They didn't have to do anything for the flies to not come. They didn't have to do anything for the hail to not come. But if we keep reading, old churchgoers, we know what happens next, right? If we keep reading, it's Passover. And what Passover means is that God tells them, I'm about to send the angel of death. And every firstborn is going to die. But you, people living in the land of Goshen, you must do a sacrifice. We won't read it. We'll just kind of cover over it. It's in Exodus. Again, I wrote down Genesis. I'm sorry. (laughs) Exodus 12, verses 1 through 13, tells us what they must do in order to be protected. They must take that sacrificial lamb. They must offer it up to God. They must cover their doorposts with the blood. If they don't do that, the protection is null and void. So what we see is that there's some conditional protection here. 
We just saw the unconditional protection. They don't have to do anything to get that. But if they didn't do the blood, if they didn't have the blood on their doorpost, they may live in Goshen, but they're not getting Goshen's provisions. And we can apply that to our lives. There are some things, I'm a firm believer, that we have automatically, unconditionally, no matter what. That if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's it, it's done. Your sins are forgiven, yesterday, today, and forever. That it's sealed. The Word tells us that the Holy Spirit seals you. That's unconditional, all right? You can't do anything to lose it. You can't do anything to change it, all right? I also believe that we have extended grace. That if you're brought into the, you're brought into the family of God, you have extended grace. No, ma- no matter what you do. I treat my kids differently than I treat other kids. Let's just be honest, okay? I mean, <laughs> I'm in the school system. I hold kids to a high standard. I, I can be pretty hard on them, I'll just be honest. But my little girls, they'll... <laughs> We 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 were we were driving here. I um, Amelia loves these these little honey stick things that she gets at Westside, and they're like a. I mean, it's like that. I mean, like that much honey, and they're like a dollar. It's a total ripoff. <laughs> and uh, I, I gave her like like five dollars at the beginning of the of the week, and they're supposed to be for Friday. And then Elizabeth tells me, oh, she she bought five today. She was handing them out, just handing people out honey sticks. And I and what do I say? I tell her. Well, she can have some more. You know, I'll make sure she has some more by Friday. Because I mean, it's my kid, right? It's my kid. I treat my kids differently. So you have extended grace. That's one of the unconditional. You, do, you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to do anything else to have God's extended grace. But there are some things that we don't get if we don't claim. I'll say that again. There are some things that we don't get if we don't claim. That if you're not actively taking the blood and putting it on the doorpost, you shouldn't expect the blessing. That that is conditional. And it's on us. It's not on God. It's not, oh, God, why don't you do this? No, it's on us. Because just as that Abrahamic promise back in Genesis 12 where God said, you have to do this, you have to leave your father's land, Abraham didn't get the blessing if he didn't leave the land. If he didn't get out of that enclave, he didn't get the blessing. He would have been just like his dad, settled. And it had been up to the next person. Because there are things in this world that only you can do, that God has designed for you. But I will tell you a very harsh truth, that if you don't do it, God will find somebody who will. Jesus said it. Jesus, is when he's, when he's coming into Jerusalem... And, the, and the, the people are, are putting down the palm leaves, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the Pharisees are like, Jesus, tell these people to be quiet. And then what does he say to them? If they don't do it, the rocks will do it because somebody's going to do it. So what I'm saying is it, there, there's some part of this, guys, that's on us. That's on us. That, that's a hard truth to, to swallow, but it's on us. Whew. Y'all getting something? I think, I think I'm getting something. <laughs> so really basic, basic premise, basic point of tonight is that Goshen is available to us. We have to claim it. We have to call it over our lives that the hedge and the protection is ours to claim. But I want to end. I'm just about wrapping up here. I want to end 
with the second meaning of an enclave. Because there's actually two dictionary definitions. We saw our first one when I was talking about Remerton. <laughs> that is a, it's a city within a city. It's a territory surrounded by another territory. There's actually a second definition of an enclave. An enclave also is a place or a group that is different in character from those surrounding it. I've got to say that again. Let me let's let that sink in. An enclave is also a place or a group that is different from those that are surrounding it. I don't know about you guys, but my little, my little church sensors kind of go off, you know? That little phrase of, we are in the world, but not of the world, right? That we are in a place, and we are a people or a group, and we are different from those around us. If you're not different from those around us, that's a gut check. That's a gut check. That if you're at work and people can't distinguish you from the world, that's a gut check. If your family looks like another family that is not living according to God, that's a gut check. No, second definition of an enclave is a place that is different from those surrounding it. And here's where I want to end because if we think about this, this second definition of an enclave, we're different from those around us. It also leads us to the next thought, which is something's got to change. We can't just stay in this one place because that's where you get to be stagnant, right? And if you look, the Israelites didn't stay in Goshen because they were somewhere better. They didn't stay there. Goshen was just a foreshadowing, a prequel to the promised land. So what I'm saying is we can't stay in Goshen, but we're always pushing. We're always going to the next thing because there is a promised land. Uh, This is where, where we end up in Hebrews I don't like to say I have favorite scripture because that makes me seem like I like some and more than the others, but I I really like Hebrews. (laughs) I really like Hebrews. And there's a word that pops up so many times in Hebrews. And the word is better. Better. I want to point out some verses that the writer of Hebrews shows us things that that are better. Hebrews 6. And I'll go kind of quick on these. Hebrews 6, verse 9. But, beloved, that's us, the church, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Hebrews 7, 19. Hebrews 7, 19. 
For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. A better hope. Looking ahead to verse 22, same chapter. Verse chapter 7. So much the more, also Jesus has become the guarantee, oh, I love that, the guarantee of a better covenant. Hebrews 8, 6. This one's probably my favorite. I will use that word. This one's probably my favorite. But now he, capital H, he, that means Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. I love that one. Because that's another verse that I claim. I claim that verse, that that there's a better covenant based on better promises. Because what that means is, if you look at the Old Testament and you look at the promises that God gave Abraham, God gave Isaac, God gave the children of Israel, I got it too, and I got it more. That's what that, that's that, that's the old Quitman version of that one, okay? The old Brooksiani version is I got it too, and I got it more. (laughs) So that whole Goshen thing, I got it. Plus some. (laughs) I got, I got the biggie size, all right? I got the extra fries. (laughs) I got it too, and I got it more. Hebrews 11, 6, 16. Hebrews eleven sixteen. We get into the Hall of Faith chapter here. We got two verses. Eleven sixteen. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We can't stay in Goshen because there's the next place. <laughs> there's the next place. Last one, verse 40. Because God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. To wrap up, guys, what what I'm getting at is that we got to claim Goshen. We got to hold on to Goshen, that the God of Goshen is our God. But we also do it with the mindset that Goshen is just the appetizer. (laughs) Goshen is just the beginning. Because we're pushing forward to the next place, the next promise, the next journey, the next day, and it's better. It's better. It gets better and better. Uh, There's a phrase that we use here at Anchor Faith Church that we are always advancing, always advancing, because there's better things to come. There's better things to come. And that's what we're pushing for. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time 
right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.